0: Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode number 89 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Today we're talking about the Stargate Universe episode Sabotage, number 16. And this is one that I've been looking forward to not only seeing but talking about with you for quite a while because this is the one that we've sort of been hinting at over the course of the last several months. We've got some spoilers on this one. There was some controversy that we'll talk about. Other than that, how's your week going?
2: Week is going good.
1: Going busy. How about yours? Pretty busy. Really terribly exciting, I guess. We don't have any big sci-fi cancellations to talk about this week. Ha! <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do this summer when there's nothing on? Are you going to relax at all?
2: I have no plans of taking no any vacation plans. time. No viewing plans. I don't think any, not anything in particular. I may discover a show. I, I French uh, I'm going to watch French.
1: You, Mister, I don't watch television. You'll have uh, some new DVDs coming out to watch. Them. Exactly. Well I'm watching V this weekend. I'm watching a couple of
2: episodes of V. I mean, it's fine, but it's not. Yeah. Sp- it's in no way is it spectacular.
1: I haven't seen any of the new ones. I saw the first four. Uh, yeah. but since it came back after the Olympics I haven't seen any new ones yet. Uh, definitely gonna catch up over the summer. But I've heard that it's not really living up to expectations.
2: Mm no, not in ratings, certainly. So I I suspect it's gonna get canned, which is too bad. You know, it's it's got an interesting premise, it's got great actors, but it's just not it's just not doing it.
1: This summer I'm gonna rewatch Farscape. Escape. <laughs> I'm pretty stoked about that. I haven't I haven't watched Farscape all the way through in in uh I don't know, three or four years probably.
2: I need to rewatch Atlantis. There are there are some things in my warehouse uh, about three or four items that I do not recognize, and I, I it's driving me nuts. There's this we have this pelican crate, it's sh- rectangular shaped. It's about it's about two foot wide by a foot long, and inside it is just this mass of tendrils, and then on the in the front of it is this s- sector of of red blinking lights that flash randomly. And I have no clue what this thing is. I don't recognize <laughs> it at all. It's just this these blue tendrils with with a box in the front of red blinking dots. And it's just the bizarre, the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't know what this thing is.
1: Weird. Have you put it up on the forum? ID no, friend? I
2: haven't. I haven't done that because it's, it's one of the larger items and I don't come across it very often. But they're photographing it right now and I haven't a clue of what this thing is.
1: So I may have to do
0: <laughs> that. The Main Discussion
1: Sabotage is episode 16 of Stargate Universe's first season. It aired last Friday on Sci-Fi. I guess what I want to start out talking about is this controversy that was online.
2: Yeah, let's establish what we first knew about the show and what all transpired.
1: Yeah, so here's what we knew. Uh, they released a casting call for the, the, the big guest character, who at the time was named Eleanor Perry. Uh, she was since changed to Amanda Perry for the episode. Uh, casting call and a few pages from the working draft of the script for Perry's character. This caused a big stir online for two reasons. One of them was the fact that the character was quadriplegic and was uh, apparently uh, running around doing things on the destiny that uh, made it look like the writers of the show or the writer of the episode, um, who actually was a, uh, a freelance writer for this one, uh, was was portraying this disabled character as if she just you know wanted to get out of her body and was not happy with herself and her identity as a disabled person and just you know she had a uh, like a list of things that she wanted to do on destiny before she had to go back to the prison of her body Uh, and this was this was taken as as quite offensive the other thing was sort of uh, the fact that she was in Camille's body the Mm. body of a lesbian woman uh, and then having some some sexual encounters on the ship, and here the writers were criticized for uh, what some people said was sort of executing a heterosexual male fantasy of sleeping with a lesbian woman. So now the, the question is, uh, I watched the episode here, and it seemed totally fine to me. If everything was in it that you're suggesting, this episode had to have been dramatically rewritten. This was actually one of the only times in Stargate history that I can remember where the, the writers of the show, Brad and Rob, actually issued a public statement. Uh, yeah. And they did it through GateWorld. They posted on GateWorld Forum. Uh, they posted public statement saying, people are taking this out of context. They don't know the whole story. They haven't seen the whole script. Yeah. And we're going to handle these issues with tact. Yeah. And I think they absolutely did. So some things that were apparently in the original script, uh, I read the casting call, but I didn't. Look at the script pages myself, so I can only report secondhand what I've read on other sites. Supposedly, mm-hmm. in this draft of the script, uh, Dr. Perry propositions Eli, and Eli's response is is sort of uh, you know, you're in Camille's body. Uh, I find Camille uh, attractive, but I don't think she would want to have sex with yeah. me. Yeah, uh, and then the other thing was was it it sounded like from what these sites were reporting that she actually has sex with rush and if she doesn't Mm -hmm. have sex at at least they got a lot farther than they did in the episode she got yeah down to skivvies
2: they reveal that you know she's been quadriplegic since nine and has probably not had a romantic
1: physical encounter with anyone in her life well now let me say we don't really know what's gone on behind the scenes so assuming these reports about that that draft of the script were correct one of two things happened either the writers took those criticisms to heart and made some very significant and important changes, which I think were terrific. Or uh, those changes were going to be made all along. And, you know, maybe we saw uh, script pages from a freelance writer that that hadn't gone through the powers the be yet. Uh, and those are things that that would have been changed anyway.
2: Either way, the result was perfectly fine. And if if it was going to be this way the entire time, then it was really... The, the frustration was perfectly unwarranted
1: yeah and some of it came from the fan base and to be honest uh, a lot of the criticisms frustrated me because they came absolutely out of left field from some people who have have are they're not stargate fans i mean maybe some of the the uh, the people who are are writing some of the articles were but i mean these are not stargate sites i don't want to get into that anymore it's just we've talked about it enough so let's talk about Dr. Perry's character, Ashley, actually appeared on screen, which I thought was a really interesting, terrific character who was acted really well uh, by the guest star. This is, this is uh, an episode, probably SGU's first episode, where the guest star really has to carry it, really has to sell it. Uh-huh. Uh, Kathleen Monroe played Amanda Perry. What did you think of her? I think
2: she did a good job of portraying someone who is having an out-of-body experience that is above and beyond the normal out-of-body experience. She is in control of muscles that she hasn't been in, con- in control of in, say, 20 yeah. years. She has about five minutes in the show where she gets to act like she's in a healthy body again and perceive the universe in senses that uh, she normally can't. And yeah, it was she's in some... rediscovery
1: mode, isn't yeah. she?
2: Yeah, the way that she held her body, the way that she ate that little fruit, relishing in and the, the simple gesture of waving goodbye rather than saying goodbye at the end of the episode came across pretty well. And they didn't spend a whole lot of time on it in the episode. It was really, really like a c plot.
1: Yeah, it was. It was enough. They didn't dwell on it. They didn't. They didn't say, "Oh, this episode is about the quadriplegic who gets to walk again." But it is more
2: about Camille experiencing this isolation. In her own hmm. body, uh, in, in this other woman's body, it's more about it's more about Camille being in in Amanda's body rather than Amanda being in Camille's body because Camille, for the first time, this 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 powerful woman knows what it's like to be completely cut off and to be unable to do anything that she needs to do to find that you know her mate is, is out. And she's worried, and she can't get in touch with her, and for some reason she doesn't have a cell phone, which I don't understand. And there's nothing that she can do. She has to wait for her to get back.
1: Camille has dealt with this for, it looks like, about three weeks mm-hmm. that they've traded bodies, and she gets to this point where it's, uh, it's sort of the, the expression of her helplessness. Mm-hmm. She's, done a, she's done a great job for three weeks dealing with her inability to... Uh, to use any muscles below her neck and at this point it's it's sort of this emotional outburst that's mm. i think expresses that frustration
2: i don't watch the trailers anymore um i did not see camille going back to her house and being with her partner that so that was all unexpected and very cool
1: yeah when she first got there they said that uh strom wanted a meeting he's yeah the, yeah he's the, uh, the bald, bald IOA, IOA head and she said nope Sit. I'm going. Nope, not going to talk to the boss. I'm Not going to do politics. I'm going home. Doctor Perry's character. Actually, this reminded me. Uh, can you? I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you this. Can you predict the Star Trek reference that I'm about to make for Doctor Perry's character?
2: Uh, I suspect uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, That's right. There was a woman. I don't remember an alien woman who came from a planet that that you know the gravity was different or something, and you know uh, she she couldn't exactly right. She couldn't exist outside of her atmosphere without this, this complicated
1: piece of machinery that, uh, that was basically an exoskeleton. That's freaky. You're exactly right. The episode is Melora, which is also the name of the character. She's basically a quadriplegic who comes to DS9. And, uh, One of Bashir's friends, I think. Yeah, a friend of Bashir, and she sets the, the low gravity for her quarters and gets to fly around her quarters. Because <laughs> uh, that's, that's her natural environment of her planet, is, is low grav. That's what the, this story reminded me of. But go back and watch. If you didn't, if you didn't watch, uh, I'm, I, I think that you, you saw it. You said something a minute ago to this effect. But uh, for listeners, if you didn't notice, go back and rewatch the episode and look at the way that Dr. Perry holds her hands, mm-hmm. especially at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Really interesting acting choice. Yeah. I thought it was terrific. So Camille gets to go home. Uh, Communication stones are are once again back to the fore. Uh, I was hoping that we were going to get to set them aside after the incident in space. But this episode, I think, is a good use of them. Uh, Life is is the episode that I continue to point to of, of sort of communication stones have reached a point of oversaturation.
2: Taking it too far, yeah.
1: But uh, this episode, hey, this is what people have been wanting. Uh, we need an expert on the ship. Why don't we get mm-hmm. Rodney McKay? Why don't we get Daniel Jackson? Well, here, we have a very specific problem, and we go get the A-plus number one hyperdrive person we can think of.
2: Mm-hmm. Someone whom, and that, that's a frustrating point, you know, someone whom we've never heard of before and never seen before. Um, yeah. the, the, here's, a, here's a character that literally comes out of left field. Uh, who has been working at SGC, not Area 51, which I thought they were going to do, but I guess they're trying to get rid of the Area 51 references now. I don't know. It's just, I mean, that that had to happen, because you couldn't, if you wanted to introduce a new character who was really, really important in in a field relating to extraterrestrial technology,
1: I don't know, man, you, you'd think that we would have met them all, but we haven't. Yeah, there's a lot of people working. when you When you think about the the uh, the Daedalus and the Odyssey and all the ships that we have and, and the related programs to the Stargate you know, yeah there has like to be other people that's true it's not just the the few people that are under under the command of General Landry at Stargate Command mm-hmm. and Rush's
2: um, nod Rush's basically makes a nod I can think of a few people and that those people would be Samantha Carter Rodney McKay
1: and you know and Amanda Perry <laughs> yeah. yeah you think those are the other people he had in mind of course so we learned that she was working on next-generation hyperdrive technology, which is kind of cool. We don't just take what we what we get from the Gould or the Asgard and stick it in our ships. We've got scientists who are working working on this stuff and trying to improve it. And the other thing that we learned that I thought was interesting about her past uh, with Rush was that she worked at the SGC with Rush, I think she said a couple of years before the ninth chevron project yeah i thought
2: icarus. he was on the icarus planet when when uh, what's-her-face died his wife so
1: yeah it's what human led me to believe but yeah so it kind of it sounds like it was it was before he went to the icarus planet i don't know if the icarus project was two to two and a half years long maybe did it all not take place on the icarus planet It must maybe not have to toward the end of that project I
2: think they had been on the Icarus planet for six months because most of okay. the folks there had been there for six months. That's what they were talking about. So that probably makes more sense. But, you know, it kind of retreads a little bit of ground from the episode Human and doesn't make complete sense because in the episode Human, we found out that when his wife died, you know, he became a different person, like a, a person that no one liked and not even he really liked. And here we are with a woman who who very clearly had deep feelings for this man the entire time and doesn't ever make mention of the fact that yeah he he changed after after uh after his wife died or he became insensitive or anything like that there's none of that with her and even eli yeah. is like you're kidding me
1: you and rush yeah and she doesn't get the reference immediately when eli says that but he's talking about the fact that you know rush is kind of a jerk
2: no she thinks that he's he's talking about her being disabled which she really jumped on that and then kind of retracted
1: well, Camille isn't the first person to use the communication stone. To, mm-hmm. uh, to basically, uh, uh, Colonel Young is looking for volunteers because we need Doctor Perry on the ship potentially for several weeks, and somebody's going to get to spend some time on Earth with their family, but uh, be in her body. So, Lieutenant James is the first one to step up and tries it, and after a few seconds, can't out.
2: get used she to the respirator. Can't do it. Yeah. And if you notice here, and I had to watch this in the second viewing, there's a little bit of sleight of hand in this. She comes back, she freaks out, and she knocks that stone away. So mm-hmm. instead of them taking that stone and trying it again with, with uh, Ray, they use another stone, and they leave James' imprint on that other stone, mm-hmm. which opens the door for the problem in this episode.
1: Yeah, we learn later on that she basically stayed paired that stone. Yeah, which opened the door for her to be to be used. We'll talk about that. I really love what they're doing with Lieutenant James here in the back half of the season. Yeah. And in this episode in particular, she's kind of stepping, stepping out of the background a little bit. She's not just sort of a you know, generic officer. Well, let's talk about the ship a little bit now. We're having FTL problems. We're stuck in the void between galaxies. Mm-hmm. Well, one piece of interesting information that we got that, I don't know why, kind of surprised me a little bit was that it looks, from the computer records, like Destiny maybe didn't, or almost didn't make it through the void the last three or four times it had to cross galaxies.
2: Its ability to retain energy is about, I think they established at some point 30% of its its maximum retainability. These batteries that, that it runs on can't take a charge. And in order for it to get between galaxies anymore if it runs out of juice it basically has to drift to the next one and so is it now a
1: good thing for destiny that we showed up
2: uh if we can fix it it is but if not at some point we're going to i mean this is this is uh yes we've we've got this one taken care of we've we've got this we've got this leap taken care of but when what happens when we leave the next galaxy what happens if the the distance to the next galaxy is far far greater
1: we apparently fixed the hyperdrive, not by fixing it, but it has something like, I don't remember the number, 13 or 14. Do you 16 remember the
2: terminology? So it, has, it has 16 um, individual engines on that bar of, of engines on
1: the back of the ship. Yeah. And so they take so one, one of out is, is just sort of failing and it's, and it's inefficient. And if we take it out, then the whole system can just work more efficiently without that, that mm-hmm. weakest link.
2: I was expecting the, the, the subsequent shots of the ship to look like it had a missing tooth in its engines, and it doesn't. <laughs> so I guess the robot just rerouted power. I, I thought it was actually fixing the, that particular hyperdrive engine, but, it, I mean, they seem to suggest that it hasn't. It's just re, rerouted uh, control.
1: Yeah, I think it just took it out of commission. We
2: were wondering what this thing was, and now we know. It's a repair bot. Yeah, body. it's like a little spider droid. So the engine blows... And a few minutes later, the uh, the gate activates, and our heroes return.
1: Yep, so somebody's th- coming to town.
2: They think that we found a way to connect to them, when in fact, uh, we had a problem, and suddenly the ship appeared on our ra- on their radars again. It wasn't too far outside of the galaxy.
1: Yeah, I like the panic of this. Uh, that we know that it's an incoming wormhole, which never happens on Destiny. Nobody knows how to dial the Destiny. And, except uh, for the remotes. So, yeah, we think it might be bad, guys. And we don't have a shield, and we don't have an iris. Uh-uh. But yeah, our guys make it back. This was the cliffhanger last week. Was We expected them to make it back in the nick of time, and they didn't. And here they showed up. Yep. And it's uh, obviously we expected them to come back at some point. I think it might have been nice to have them gone for an entire episode, but then there's the challenge of once you get past this and fix the hyperdrive and Destiny is off towards it's the next galaxy, far. it becomes really impossible for them mm. to get back. And I don't know what sort of contrivance you can come up with to, to get your, your main cast members back on the ship. But, um, yeah, just the easy dial-up. Uh, the Destiny showed up on my remote after a couple of days, and we dialed back. Matt and Chloe are apparently back together.
2: Yes, they, I saw a bra hanging from a cabinet or something.
1: Well, there's a shot of them in the montage back in yep. to bed together. Yep. And uh, Eli has this third wheel comment, which makes Chloe look at Matt and smile. <laughs> and I, know. I, didn't,
2: I didn't notice that until the second time around.
1: I mean, the fact that he says it in front of him makes me think that Eli's sort of coming to terms with this and is, is uh, you know, okay joking about it in front of him. And I, I speculated a bit that Greer might be angry for being left behind in Lost. And uh, right he here. seems okay with Scott when, when they get back. They get the bro hug, and uh, he seems to be okay.
2: I suspect that that's not going to develop any further. The aliens return. They're continuing to follow us.
1: And they were landing their shuttlecraft. They yeah, and I know we probably want to tiptoe around this a little bit and save some of it for quibbles, but um, we've got the aliens on the planet that our guys just left. Yeah. Uh, poised, apparently, weapons at the ready. Uh, when the Kino comes through the Stargate, they yeah. start shooting. Uh, and then they show up in the void when they should have no way of tracking us. They Three weeks later. And, uh, and uh, attack us. Franklin,
2: Dr. Franklin. He... Uh... You know, we've, we've, we've heard references of him for a while now, uh-huh. uh, and he is catatonic. He's a vegetable, he sure looks like, ever since his encounter with the chair. And then, you know, when the ship comes under attack, he begins moving his eyes and intends on saving the day. Very interesting ending. They, yeah. he, he gets them to put him in, back in the chair, and he, you know, reroutes the, the hyperdrive after the after the robots made the repairs the the chair i think this really proves at this point that the chair's kind of plugged into the entire ship and they the cast has sort of been taking that for granted um uh, that it wasn't just a science lab with a chair this that that this this uh this chair may contain maybe the brain of the ship or maybe the bridge I'm not sure um but some some vital importance it, it it contains some vital importance and Franklin plugs himself into it, gets the hyperdrive fixed and disappears.
1: Yeah, I think from what Rush was saying when Young was getting ready to sit in the chair, I think that basically somebody just had to tell the ship to go to FTL now that now that the, the drive was fixed. Um, but as far as Young and Rush and their relationship, uh, I like the fact that Young did what he did. And as much as those guys fought in the middle of the season over sitting in the chair and Rush is a coward and all that, uh, I like the fact that Young... He basically stood up and was ready to sit in the chair himself and put his own life on the line.
2: And Rush stopped him. He wasn't like, ah, sit in that yeah, let's and let's get rid of you. Him.
1: Yeah, so what do you make of this ending? They go back into the room. It gets really cold first, so they have to leave the room. Mm-hmm. And it's all foggy and the window's icing over. And then uh, they jump into FTL, get away from the aliens, and Young heads back to the room and opens the door, and Franklin is gone. Is, is that the lowered. only door? I think that's the only door to the room.
2: Because I was suspecting he may have left. He may have. Wa- I mean, he may have walked
1: away. He may be wandering the ship Maybe now. Maybe wandering another part of the ship. Um. Yeah. Well, they made a big deal of the fact that that Riley was left watching the door. Yeah. And he said that it didn't open.
2: Yeah. That's. I don't yeah. know how. I mean, the other alternative is that he was vaporized, and he either ceases to has ceased to exist, or his. His, his consciousness is now somewhere else.
1: Well, yeah, this is one of the theories that's going around online is Ascension. He could have ascended. You think that he might have ascended?
2: I doubt it. The Destiny I is long before too. they discovered Ascension.
1: Yeah. I really doubt that it's Ascension. Uh, my, my gut instinct is telling me that he's somehow been incorporated into the ship. That he's, like, become the heart of the ship. Uh, which included, I don't know, lowering his body temperature to prepare him for, I don't know, maybe Destiny has uh, transporters and his body's been physically transported to another part of the ship where he's been sort of incorporated into its mechanisms, which would mean, you know, maybe that's what that chair is all about to begin with. And maybe uh, the ancients knew that when they came to Destiny, that uh, somebody was, was going to have to basically sacrifice themselves to be incorporated into the heart of the ship
2: Franklin is the ship that's an interesting thought we've seen cryostasis before and we've seen a freezing process before with the mm-hmm. ancient ice boxes and it was definitely getting cold in there so I wouldn't be surprised if there's that if there's a, a connection like that
1: well I know we definitely have a lot more to talk about in quibbles so let's quibble away it's, it's time, time for quibbles,
2: quibbles.
1: Okay, let's talk about FTL first. We were speculating in the past, uh, I think just last week, that FTL must be a lot slower than hyperspace, because it's taking us weeks and weeks and months to cross a galaxy, even though obviously we're stopping for a few hours at a time. And assuming like, all galaxies are relative in size. Right. There are variable factors, like you said last week. This could be a huge galaxy, and we could be going you know, sort of the long, the long way around. But uh, all things being equal, FTL seems to be slower than hyperspace travel. Mm-hmm. Looking at this episode, now we have the challenge of crossing the void between galaxies, which is ginormous, as, as was stated in the episode. So I'm thinking FTL must be really slow if we can travel for three days, or for two days, I think it was, and still be in range of the Stargate mm-hmm. for our guys to come back. Uh, yet... Uh, FTL has to be fast enough that we don't spend hundreds or thousands of years in the void. So I'm guessing, this is my theory, that FTL has sort of a range of speeds, that that Destiny can speed up to go across the void and can otherwise slow down. What do you think about that?
2: I suspect it has like a fast and a slow, fast, medium, slow um, mode.
1: I'm not exactly sure. Compare it again to hyperspace travel crossing the void in between galaxies the asgard could do it really fast like within a few seconds i think in unnatural selection so with the asgard they can do it uh in a relatively short period of time um in episodes like unnatural selection when they when they were towing prometheus from earth to their home planet it took them what a few hours we've talked about the fact that uh, daedalus uh, takes two, two and a half weeks, I think, mm-hmm. to cross the void between the Pegasus and Milky Way galaxies when it's ferrying people from Earth to Atlantis.
2: It certainly sounds like it's going to be longer than that for these guys.
0: Hi, this is Abby from Chicago. Um, this week's episode of uh, Sabotage, I thought, there, I thought there were some really nice um, pieces, and there were some really poorly done pieces. I thought it was a very nice idea to be able to use the stones for something good. They were able to give an individual who had been trapped in a wheelchair her most of her life um, the ability to walk and to feel and to eat and to be human again. And I thought that was a very powerful message and that that's the power of the stones. And on the other side of that, the sacrifice that is involved in taking over someone else's body, you have to live the way they live, with all their physical um, faults and problems. But the bad thing I saw in this episode was how we get Eli, Chloe, and, and Lieutenant, Lieutenant Scott, Lieutenant Matthew Scott, back. They just show up. There's no where. There's no action. There's no story. It's oops. We stopped We stopped Flying through FTL and the gate popped up and we came through.
2: I made a big deal last week about not being able to figure out how they're going to uh how our our three uh compadres are going to be able to get back to the ship and, you know, what what they're going to do to pull this off and it's gonna be something that we haven't thought of. Um and it turns out, you know, the 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 ship is damaged and they stop and they come back. It's a, it feels a little contrived because uh, hmm. it's a fluke that they managed to get back. Yeah, it is. And they have been—they've been working up this equity with us, where they show again and again that there's no more nick of time, last-minute saves, and we get—we get, we get kind of two in this episode. We get, you know, the 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 ship stops probably just before it's outside of range of that planet ship stops unintentionally, and they get back to the ship. And then three weeks go by where we know an alien race is coming after us. And then in the very last few minutes of this, uh, Young says, we may come under attack any time now. And the ships show up, and as soon as the ships show up, we get out of there.
1: Why did it take three weeks for the aliens to get there? Maybe their, their FDL travel is slower, um, although they seem to be able to keep up with Destiny when it's in FDL just fine.
2: I mean, Russia speculated that they're less advanced than Destiny, but still, I mean, they, they, they pose a couple of questions in the episode, you know, that, they, that James either broadcast, the alien and James, broadcast their position or figured out where it was in the void at the time, figured out its coordinates. Uh, it, feels, it feels a little far-fetched.
1: I was kind of hoping that our guys were going to be gone for, for maybe an episode or so. Uh, obviously, they're going to come back, uh, three main cast members were going to get them back on destiny but uh, yeah as as awesome as the absence of a nick of time save was at the end of lost um, the, the end of that episode is so terrific because there's no nick of time we, you know we made it we just made it back before the ship went into ftl um this sort of sort of uh shortchanges that ending a little bit i thought
2: this is another thing that we didn't bring up though the uh the aliens know how to sabotage the ship um, we don't know what yeah. they did. They there probably wasn't an explosive device or something. They d- James did something on board they the ship that, a,
1: through a computer access panel uh-huh. or something,
2: and caused the the one of the sixteen engines that we that we needed least and actually needed <laughs> to be disabled to be disabled.
3: Hi, Gate World. It's Adam from Merry Old England here. Just going to talk about this
2: week's episode sabotage. Despite it being another communication stone story, I feel the whole disability issue really mixed things up a bit, and stopped it from retreading the old ground that's been gone in the previous episodes. But what I really want to talk about is the titular act of sabotage. This is quite possibly the most ineffectual sabotage ever. As a direct result of the explosion, aliens have reunited the team, made destiny go faster, woke someone from a coma, and almost got Dr Rush laid. Great job, guys. I mean, are we sure they're evil? Before this, they've rescued Rush from the desert and downloaded information into his and Chloe's brains. I fully expect them to break into Destiny, only to repaint the walls before putting little mints on all the crew's pillows.
1: Well, here we go. This launches right into my next point, which uh, I think this is not a quibble, this is an anti-quibble. Uh, this is a theory that I think explains this. Uh, and I haven't got all the Kings worked out yet, so help me out. Uh, the theory is that uh, the aliens used Vanessa's body... ...to sabotage the ship because she was still paired with one of the stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which so, means they've
2: probably been trying to get aboard for a while now. And have yeah. kept this, this poor guinea pig alien locked up in a dark space in the event that this happens. They're, they're playing our game now.
1: We well, taught them, the we taught them to do this. If this theory is true that, that it was one of the blue aliens from space... ...then either they got just dumb lucky and happened to try the stone... In this period of a few minutes, uh, maybe more than a few minutes, after Vanessa leaves the room, she basically stops in the corridor and seems to, to be elsewhere.
2: If you notice, at that moment, the, the musical cue is correct. It's the stone music. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: I didn't see that. Or the aliens have been trying constantly. You know, they've basically always had some, some poor schlub tapping on a stone. trying <laughs> In a dark room. Destiny In a dark room. <laughs> Um, you know, for, for months, I think it's been now. Um, we were on the planet in faith for, for a month, so it's been longer than that. Both of those things seem a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. So now my question is, was it really the aliens? This theory that we have that they have sabotaged the ship, and they sabotaged it, like you said, in just the right way. They got rid of the weakest link in the FTL drive that enables us to get away and make it to the next galaxy mm-hmm. um, just
2: the wrong way for them I guess is, yeah. is perhaps a better way to put it
1: yeah so the sabotage ends up being in our best interest Yeah, because destiny could not have made it across the void mm-hmm. otherwise um, so my crazy theory is that it was not the space aliens I think that maybe it was destiny destiny really? as ancient technology has, uh, it has its own sort of link to the communication stones network and identified that James was still paired, and Destiny used her. You think? Now, the only hole in this that I haven't been able to figure out yet is the space aliens still find us. They show up, so somehow they, they knew where we were. Yeah. And James was
2: has this, this feeling of being in a darkened space, not yeah. herself. Yeah. Which I think may mean that, that perhaps yeah. she was Destiny for a little
1: while. A yeah, dark maybe room. she was disembodied, or maybe Destiny actually stuck her in a dark dark closet.
2: Or, because Destiny is in a void right now, maybe she got that sensation of being in a dark space, being in a dark Uh, void.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, It it explains the sort of convenience of of the sabotage being in our best interest by getting the bum part of the drive. Yeah, But uh, it doesn't explain how the aliens were able to find us in the void. (laughs) The last thing that we haven't really talked about is the aliens uh, showed up on the planet where Scott and Chloe and Eli were. So my, my question slash quibble is, how did they find Scott's team? Uh, our guys in the last episode went back to the planet from Justice with the crashed yeah. alien ship and poked yeah. around in the database and figured out what route they needed to take through the gate network to get back within range of destiny yeah maybe that was just one gate maybe they gated from that planet straight to the one that they were on um and the aliens then found the found the the uh crashed ship again just like they found rush when he turned on the, the computer uh figured out where they were going what they were doing and went to that planet I'm um, sus- but if they were hopping through multiple gates i don't see how the aliens could have tracked them well i
2: i'm I'm suspecting that these gates, even though they're 1.0, contain a memory imprint of when of wherever they were last dialed, and that the mm. aliens know more about the Stargates than we realize that they do, and that they mm. followed them, whether they made one gate leap, I'm suspecting not. I'm suspecting it was several, because the, the, there was a chain of them that they had to go through, and I think Eli found, like, the shorter route when they were heading back, and that's why Scott's yeah, comment was like, like you couldn't find a shorter way, so it couldn't have been just the one gate. Um, And they... They went from gate to gate to gate in their ships, landed on each planet, checked out the gate, went to the next one, went to the next one, mm. and caught up to them. Um, because you wouldn't have, wa- you would have wanted them, and anyway, if if just like that, just like they took Chloe and just like they took Rush, you would have wanted those guys as hostages. And that's what they were doing. They they re- touch down on that planet. They were going to go check out the other
1: Stargate. The Stargate opened, sends Akino through, and they decide to blast it. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense if the Stargates actually work that way. I would wonder why 1.0 gates would work that way, but the Milky Way and Pegasus gates apparently don't, because we've had instances in the past on SG-1 where we have to analyze the imprint left on the DHD crystals, and we get, like, 50 addresses, and we Mm -hmm. don't know what order they were dialed in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're not able to really figure out what the last planet dialed was. But some... Narrow it down a bit. but that's Well, we've it. we've seen
2: races that that are capable of better dissecting and analyzing the DHDs than we are. Adria puts her hand over the the DHD and it, and it lights up, and she eventually determines
1: where it was last dialed to. Oh, that's true. What was was that in uh quest? That was in the Quest two? two. Yeah, that's true. And other other races have uh, obviously more control over the Stargate system than we do. Uh, thinking of like like the Nox. And Laya's ability to to activate the puddle with a wave. Without a a galoosh. Yeah. Without a dial. Yeah.
0: You are listening to the GateWorld podcast.
1: Well, that's sabotage for this week. And for full coverage, head over to gateworld.net. You can find our screen capture gallery and photos and transcript. And uh, an episode summary will be along pretty soon. And uh, as always, go over to GateWorld Forum and you can talk about this episode with thousands of other Stargate fans from around the world. Thousands? Thousands. Thanks to everyone who called in this week. We have a little bit more voicemail to get to. Let's play that. Hi
3: guys, this is Thomas from Ontario. And I'm just calling about the SGU episode Sabotage. Personally, I don't think the aliens sabotaged the ship. It's just too much of a coincidence that they just completely forget about the stones for all that time and don't attempt to use it anymore. And then all of a sudden, bam, they're back in in the ship and then they know exactly how to use, uh, operate everything. Like either access the database to find out where they are or access the communication stuff if they've never been on the uh, communication systems, if they've never been on the ship. It just doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't add up. Also, but I do think they're responsible for... um, Eli, Scott, and Chloe getting back. It's just too coincidental that they happen to come from the planet, and then a few hours, like I don't know, was it a few hours or a few days later, that the aliens show up on that exact planet. So it is a bit odd that they don't didn't show up while they were there. Maybe they just didn't have a shipping range. Thomas thinks it was too convenient. Hey guys, this is Greg calling from San Francisco. Loved sabotage, especially the character development for Rush. I was thinking that it seems like Earth should have motherships by now because we have all the knowledge of the Asgard and we've seen them use the beam to make complex machines like replicators and anti-replicator devices. So it seems like they should just be able to essentially beam a mothership together. I was also wondering if Jonas' homeworld, Langara, could maybe be used to dial Destiny. We know it's um, at least partially made of Nequadria we don't know if it has a naquadria core like the Icarus planet. And I was wondering if maybe even the Goa'uld knew about the Destiny and tried to make their own Icarus planet.
1: This is a good point. Now, we know f- that uh, we need an Icarus-type planet. And uh, apparently Icarus was able to dial the Destiny, the 9 Chevron address, because it had a naquadria core. Not just Naquita, which is super powerful and explosive, mm-hmm. but naquadria, which is like the the super atomic nitroglycerin unstable version mm-hmm. of naquadah. Mm-hmm. Um so we've seen uh, huge veins of naquadria on the planet Langara, Jonas's homeworld, before. Yeah. Can we use Langara to dial destiny? No. Um, Why not? because uh, the naquadria in
2: Langara is now dormant. It was it was rendered dormant in Fallout. because uh, right. we cut off the vein. Um and unless we're willing to put that entire planet and its population in jeopardy, just to
1: rescue eighty people,
2: yeah, I don't we did sort of so.
1: blow up the Icarus planet, didn't we? So I wouldn't really want to risk blowing up Langara. No,
2: no. What what happened to the Icarus planet was what was going to happen to Langara, specifically, uh, had we not taken our little uh, excavation vehicle
1: and cut it off. Yeah. And Earth should have motherships by now, shouldn't it? I think that the ships that were flying around Daedalus and, and Odyssey and the Hammond and the like basically are our they're, motherships. they're motherships, yeah. Yeah. I mean they've got they've got uh 302s in them.
2: All yeah, all mothership means they are is that it has ships. support craft, which it does.
1: Unless Greg means that we should have like motherships. cooled motherships, like our own fleet of Attox.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, That'd be fun. The Jaffa nation—they're—they're—they're they're, they're probably in control of those uh, building pads now, so they're probably kicking out more Hataks. They—they have to—they have to at some point learn how to, you know, learn how to create that technolo- technology.
1: Otherwise, they're going to run out via attrition fairly soon. Um, yeah, depending on but the, the number of ones that were conflicts. already built, I would imagine. Of the ones that were already built, when the when the Jaffa or when the Gould fell, uh, between the Lucian Alliance and the Free Jaffa, they probably are all spoken for. Well, this Friday on Sci-Fi, it's the next episode of SGU. The title is Pain. So this week's listener question, we want you to call into the hotline and tell us what you thought of Pain. Watch it on Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Or if you live in Canada, it's on Space at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, And then call the hotline. David, what's that number? The number is, as always,
2: 951
1: 262 1647 call anytime we'll talk about pain on may 19th and then subversion on may 26th i just read a little logline teaser from tv guide on subversion and it sounds like it could be cool cool not that they're not all cool but uh, i like it this second half has been really strong
2: man good episodes
1: it has i am I'm looking forward to 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 doing the deconstruction on season one of s g u when it's all said and done because mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with the second half of the season so far well, I mean you it's look time. back
2: on the these three live action shows i mean please- ignore the animated series in this case. I know a number of people will disagree with me, but i think I think universe has the strongest first season of all three.
1: Hmm. in terms that of in will terms be an of interesting question. Maybe, yeah, maybe that should be our listener question that we pose. Uh, in a couple of months when we get to it Uh, and after subversion sci-fi channel is going to take a week off from from new episodes for memorial day weekend like they do every year so uh, we will have a spare week on the podcast uh, and i haven't decided yet we haven't decided yet what we're going to talk about so if you have an idea you know shoot us an email and let us know maybe david already has decided what he wants to talk about that week And then we'll come back and we'll have the two-part season finale in uh, the first two weeks of June. And that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in to listen to us talk about Sabotage. I just like saying Sabotage. Once again, give us a call on the hotline, or if you don't want to call a U.S.-based phone number, you can also record a short message on your computer and email the MP3 or WAV file to webmaster at gateworld.net. And you can always leave feedback over on the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum. From GateWorld, this is David. And this is Darren. And we'll see you very soon, once again, on the GateWorld Podcast.